Welcome to The Ziggler Show. I'm your host, Kevin Miller, and in this episode, we give focus to a term and topic I've now added to my vernacular and reality, consonants. Consonants is the agreement or compatibility between opinions or actions. What you'll hear in the show is how having consonants in your life or not massively alters everything you do. My guest is Laura Gassner Odding, and her gig is helping people get unstuck and finally achieve the extraordinary results they desire. She's really turned on by the audacity of the big idea and that larger than life goal you just can't seem to shake, which I think is true for most of our Ziegler listeners. My muse is the message she communicates in her book, Limitless. How to Ignore Everybody, Carve Your Own Path, and Live Your Best Life. In the book, Laura helps readers discover their consonants, how they align what they do with who they are to achieve their limitless potential. If you don't know Laura, she has served as a presidential appointee in Bill Clinton's White House, helping shape AmeriCorps. She left a leadership role at respected nonprofit search firm Isaacson Miller to expand the startup execsearches.com and she founded and ran the nonprofit professionals advisory group. She's also the author of mission driven, a book for those moving from profit to purpose. Uh, you could check out her book limitless and take her limitless assessments. Really great. I really encourage you to do that uh, at Laura Gassner audiencom slash Ziggler. She set up a special page just for us. And friends, I hear from so many of you who want more from Ziggler. You can go to Ziggler.com anytime and see the events that are happening next that you can be a part of and the products you can leverage to change your life, to really inspire your true performance. Well, Laura, this aspect of consonants, uh, I love words. I look this one up because it's not one that I use in my regular vernacular. And it said agreement or compatibility between opinions or actions. So right at the bat, I thought of Zig Ziglar, who famously said, you cannot consistently perform in a manner which is inconsistent with the way you see yourself. And the thing that really got me right away when I saw your message. Well, aside from Carrie Wilkerson saying, Kevin, you've got to have her on the show, uh, which I, I listened to her is your desire to help people align what they do with who they are. And so to begin with, I wanted you to share what your personal journey is that led you to saying, I need to bring that to people's uh, ears. I need to, I need to focus on that message and bring it to what was the impetus for you, the catalyst for you to say, I'm going to bring that message forward. You know, I spent 20 years doing executive search for nonprofit organizations, so senior leaders in C-suite uh, positions. And, you know, these are people who should have had, you know, purpose, higher purpose, lofty goals. They should have had calling. They should have been really happy. And they were all super successful, which is why they were sitting in my office talking to me, right? But they weren't very happy, which is why they were sitting in my office talking to me. And I just thought it was really interesting that this idea that success, that having uh, uh, the, you know, all the right stuff on the resume, uh, which looked on paper to be the right life, didn't necessarily equate to happiness for people. And I thought, you know, well, that's kind of the same thing that happened to me. Like I went through and I checked all the boxes along everybody else's path to everybody else's version of success. And I got myself to the top only to turn around one day and say, you the top of what? Like, is this really where I want to be? Like, we all get one big juicy life. So what if we are working really hard to build a life that's success 
only to realize one day that we're building somebody else's life and someone else's success. Yeah. Yeah. And this, I feel like some of my questions or some of my inquiries with you are, are somewhat elementary, but then I also, I'm reading your book and I'm going, we're still here. We're still doing this thing. And you know, when it comes to, let's just talk about work specifically. It feels like we have, even though we Dilbert existed a long time ago, and yet we're still here with the J O B and not even expecting it to align to some degree. Now I think, you know, the millennials are looking at it differently and I know you're dealing with that, but there's, we're still looking at the job to provide cash. You maybe we're lucky if we have some coworkers we like, and there's some good, you know, culture here, but with this continued trajectory of not being in alignment, having work that we have some more purpose in what is, I kind of want you to lay out like a wake up call, everybody. This is the toll that it's taking on our culture. Give us some insight. Yeah. So isn't it tragic that that's, that that's where we still are is that we're like, oh, I got to work so I can live and I want to have my life over here, but uh, I got to go back to work again. Oh, I, we got, I got like the case of the Mondays, right? It's Sunday, Monday. I'm, I don't want to have to go back to work. Yeah. And, you know, it's because we've been fed this BS for so long that, you know, if you do what you love, you never have to work a day in your life. Well, I love what I do. I can tell listening to your podcast, you love what you do. You can tell for, for, for 15 years when I ran my own company, I would go into clients' offices to pitch them our services and they would always say, God, you seem like you really love what you do. Hmm. I would say, yeah. And then of course they'd hire us because of course you want somebody who loves what they do because they bring everything they have to the work. And what we're seeing is that people who are being fed this line that work should be work. It shouldn't be fun. Have this, this, this expectation and almost, it's almost a resignation that it doesn't have to be part of who they are. And now we're seeing millennials that are coming in and saying, you know, I've always grown up in this life where I've had social media in my back pocket, which means that the person that I am at home and the person I am at work aren't hidden from each other, right? I, I'm growing up in the sort of public eye. I'm growing up my, I'm, I'm living my life outside of my work and I'm friends with my colleagues on social media. So they see who we are. And so they are having this, this conversation about what is purpose and does my work reflect who I am? And am I going to be friends with my colleagues or my frolics, if you will? So they're having this conversation at the same time that the baby boomers are retiring at like 10,000 a day and going, uh, I want to have one last thing for purpose, for something, for something that matters to me. And then Gen Xers, my generation, like we won't be forgotten, even though you're trying to forget us, we won't be forgotten. And they're saying, well, you know, I've got small kids. I've got aging parents. I have, I have, I'm asked to be involved in my community. So how do I, how do I make sure that the work I'm doing actually matters because it's the work I'm doing is actually taking away from other priorities that I have. And so we're finding people that are just running faster and faster and faster on the treadmill only to wake up one day and just go, eh, is this all there is? There's got to be more. Mm-hmm. And we're finally able to have a conversation because there are so many millennials flooding the, the, the job market, you know, 75% by 2025, that these conversations are for the first time actually welcome in the, in, in the job space. Okay. Let me ask about that one. And, and I, our audience here is millennials is not the majority of it. So I don't want to spend a whole lot of time here, but 
I'm interested in because I have kids uh, that are older at this point and we're having these discussions, of course, coming from me, they're out to find that thing that is the holy grail of what they want to do. Love that for them, but I'm having some of them where I'm going, okay, you get to pay some of your dues uh, to get to that point. I don't know if you're going to find the dream spot right off the bat. Awesome that it's out here and that should uh, you know, steer the trajectory to get to that point. But there is some of the paying the dues. And I am hearing a little pushback from the corporate world that I assume, you know, more of than I do on they, they are, you know, these millennials are coming in and they do want the thing that, that has purpose. They want flexibility. They want to work remote. They want to, and there's a little bit, it feels like a little bit of tension in that. Give us a little uh, kind of justify that or, or, or reconcile that right now for those millennials and say, yes, you want that purpose. Love it that you want purpose, but to get there might take a little bit. So that's where the whole idea of consonants really comes from. Okay. And, and I can talk about it to millennials, but it's really for every generation. Um, the idea of consonants is that if the what you do matches the who you are, it can come from lots of different ways. So it means that you have to have some sort of calling, some sort of Thing that's bigger than you, whether it's uh, you know values that you want to pursue, or a leader that inspires you, or a company that you want to build, or a bottom line that you want to, or a family you want to grow, something like that. Then some kind of connection. So, um, does the work you're doing actually matter? If you called in sick tomorrow, would anybody notice? Right. So, so do you see that the work that you're doing is actually helping you to get to that calling? The third is contribution. So, if connection is all about the work, then contribution is really about you and how much the work contributes to the life that you want to live, the values you want to manifest, the, the career trajectory, the velocity of that trajectory that you'd like. Um, and then, you know, how much money you're making, is it giving you the kind of lifestyle that you want? And then lastly, control. So how much control do you have? How much personal agency do you have over how much the work connects to that calling and how much it's contributing to your life? And what we're seeing is that millennials are, whereas other generations are like, you know, um, I actually need my work to have a lot of connection. I don't necessarily care if it if it's if I've got a ton of calling, but it's got to matter, and and uh, you know I it's got to make me enough money that I can pay for my kids to go to college. You know, the Gen Xers, millennials are saying, well, we actually want a little bit of all of it across the board, and that's okay too. So what I say to millennials who come to me and say. I expect to get my dream job right out of right out of college. Yeah. I say, well, you're probably not going to get your dream job right out of college, but you might be able to get a great job in your dream company, in a company that allows you to have mm. opportunity and velocity of that career trajectory or that 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 uh, allows you to manifest your values on a daily basis. And maybe you're not making as much money as you want today, but you can see how it's allowing you to be put into positions where you're getting assigned to projects, which puts you um, at, at a place where the person who makes the decision about who gets the next promotion actually sees your work. So they can put themselves in in scenarios, in companies and in roles that have purpose to them, whether it's values or the career that they will to build or something like that, even if it's not, you know, the title that's, you know, they're not going to be the CEO tomorrow, but they can put themselves in a place that allows themselves to see um, that it's not just pushing paper, paying your dues for 20 years, but mm -hmm. they actually can see sight lines into where it is that they want to get to. Okay. Beautiful. I'm going to take that clip and send it to my four older kids right there. Confirmation and a little support from what dad's been talking about. Love that. Okay. So on that, and you, you started right off the bat with an answer saying, you know, what you do matches who you are. So for the job and the goals to align with who we are, of course, we've got to know who we are. So in your experience right now as the Pied Piper of this message, starting right there, how many people 
I mean, is that where you have to back up then and say, okay, you got to figure out what, uh, what it is that you are, what are your values? Is that another area where even people who get the message are having to back up and, and don't really know that because as I'm seeing that, that's not the natural. It's not what kids are being taught in school, obviously. And if the parents aren't teaching that, where do they come out and even have the idea to go back and do a personal audit? And as I asked that question too, if you've got any specific, you know, resources, obviously the book limitless is what we're focused on here. But if somebody's saying, okay, I, I got to figure out you know, what are my values? Uh, that's not the norm. Yes. Yeah, so, uh, you know, it's funny when I, when I go out on stages and I, you know, like Carrie, I make my living, you know, speaking to, to, to thousands of people and yeah. keynote, keynote speeches. Um, I walk out on stage and I'm like, here I am, I'm here to help you, you know, find true happiness. And I, I say, okay, this thousand people on this side of the room, I want you to write down these three things. And I, these thousand yeah. people on this side of the room, we write these down, these three things. And I'll say like, okay, all of you over here on the right, I want you to write down, marry the man of your dreams, become the youngest CEO of a fortune 500 company, uh, spend all the money, live like a king or a queen and figure out retirement later. And then all of you on this side of the room, marry the woman of your dreams, stay at home with your 2.5 perfect children, the labradoodle who never pees on the rug. And live frugally, save all the money you can, and perfect your golf game. Okay, everybody happy? And they all look at me like, what are you talking about? Because I just made up the scorecard out of thin air, right? I'm like, okay, like, fine. If that's not making you happy, what if you took your scorecards and you swapped? So everyone on the right side of the room takes the left side and vice versa. And then they're like, oh, I see, right? Like, this is a randomly assigned scorecard. So what are the things that we care about? What's our calling? What are our values? I think that we have to start by saying, what's the scorecard we've been carrying around for all these years? Is it the right scorecard? Is it the wrong scorecard? And who gave us that scorecard anyway, right? There was probably a teacher early on. In my case, the teacher said, gee, you know, you're a really argumentative young woman. You should become a lawyer. And of course, you know, I told her she was wrong, but (laughs) then I proceeded to spend the next 10 years creating an educational path that put me in law school until I realized six weeks in that I'd made a huge mistake and I didn't belong there, right? Or maybe it's a parent who tells you that if you just marry this kind of person, you'll be happy. Or a boss who says, um, you know, the, the, the success is, um, getting the fastest and most expedient path to the corner office. And the thing is that we all define success differently. Some of us are going to want lots of money because we want to go on fancy cosmopolitan vacations to Europe. Some of us don't want a lot of money but need a lot of time because we want to go on vacations and camp in remote destinations next to you know, riverbanks. Two completely different things. But if you say success is the highest salary, the biggest title, then what about the people who like to go camping? Are they failures? Mm -hmm. So I don't believe that. So I think the first thing people have to do when they're trying to decide what they stand for is, you know, to ignore everybody else and to unpack all those definitions of success and to burn that scorecard they've been carrying around since they don't even remember when they got it. That's where we have to start. Yeah. You know, again, I, I keep coming back to my kids cause they're in this and the scorecard they have, there's no way it can't be uh, tainted. And I, it sounds like a bad word, but influenced by me. And even as we talk about that, that's still what they know. So I'm having to bring them sometimes outside of that and go, you guys got to figure out your own, but again, we're programmed. We're so programmed. Go ahead. Yeah. So, you know, I think a good way as a parent um, to approach that is the same way that we should approach it when we're dealing with massive problems in the world. Your kids come to you and they present a problem and you say, oh, you know, how can I help? What can I do? Let me solve that for you. So I've learned, you know, I have a 14-year-old and a 16-year-old, and I've learned at this point that solving their problem is not actually the solution (laughs) 
that they want. Yeah. What they really want is for me just to go, gee, that sucks. That's yeah. really hard. Like they want empathy. They want company in their misery more than they want a solution. But when we say, how can I help? They're programmed because they want to please us as the power figures in their life to say, well, what's mom going to want me to do? What's dad going to want me to do? Let me give them a solution within that that they can then work within, right? So this question, how can I help, presents us as, uh, as the hammer, seeing every problem as a nail, and that's not going to work. We have to ask a better question, which is, what does success look like to you? And in order to get there, what needs to happen? And that gives our kids a space to actually define their own success rather than be in this world where they're pleasing us and putting it within our our definition. And thanks to these sponsors for bringing us today's show. Okay, did that define your own success right there? That is a quandary to me because I hear you. And you talked about social media where we are seen. And of course we show the good stuff. And I know that that gets a lot of flack, but I never knew anybody before social media who had a photo album in their house that showed a bunch of crappy pictures. I mean, so it's human nature, but we are, we can't hide from that. We can't hide from the Joneses, which you talk about in there. And I look at that with my kids. I look at that with myself. That There's some aspects where I think, you know, I'd be happy with X, Y, Z, but X, Y, Z may not. Uh, give me the credibility to do what I want out here. I don't know if anybody would listen to me on the Ziegler show. If they found out I lived in a van down by the river uh, with uh, on a nickel to rub together, there is that pressure. So when we're talking to anybody who's listening right now and they go, okay, I hear you, Laura, I need to define my own success. And if I'm happy uh, in something that may not be the cultural norm of success, I I would be okay with that. And yet I've got this pressure over here. We know the real societal pressure of wanting to have some status, wanting to have some credibility. And I've seen that struggle, especially when we're in in an arena where you're a leader, you're an influencer, and uh, there's some expectations with that. It's just a very real pressure. So to those who are going, gosh, I hear you. I want to do that. Am I strong? enough to uh, go my own way, regardless of what other people think. Yeah. So I think that, I mean, it's real. It's absolutely real. And, and I, I, you know, I do harsh on social media a bit in the book saying that, you know, we all have these friends who put these perfect pictures up and they make us feel bad about ourselves because, you know, we end up judging our bloopers by everybody else's highlight reels. That said, hmm. social media is incredible. Social media has allowed me to create networks and 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 family, as I call it, um, the combination of friends and family that are a real support network, and and it's been terrific. I you know I I I work out of my house. I'm alone. I don't have a lot of colleagues, and so it allows me to have um, company all day long. So I think social media is good, but I also think that. Um, Everybody out there in social media defines success differently. Some people are going to say it's the perfect body. Some people are going to say it's the perfect job. Some people are going to say it's the perfect marriage. Some people are going to say it's the perfect car. I mean, people will define it differently. And the problem is, is that we're not actually filtering that out. And we're taking everybody's definition and having all of them. And we can't do all of it. So it may be that the one friend who has the perfect body spends, you know, eight hours a week working on or eight hours a day working on that. It may be the friend that um, has all the money spends 80 hours a week in that job. The one that has a perfect family isn't working 80 hours a week or working out eight hours a day because they're spending time with their family. But we're looking at all of it and saying, I can do that too. And 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 what happens is that we're so busy 
putting all these rocks in our backpack of everybody else's gold stars that we want to collect. And then the backpack gets so heavy that we, you know, it, we are burdened by it. We can't, we cannot actually pursue ourselves. And so I, I, I write in the book how I want people to embrace this idea of failure, to fail to living up to everybody else's expectations mm-hmm. of everybody else's version of success. Because once we fail to do that, we actually make room for our own. And when we're so busy working on our own success, an interesting thing happens that the rest of the noise starts to die away. Because you don't have time to be sitting on social media and comparing yourself to everybody else when you're actually pursuing your own thing. And here's the thing. You can't be insatiably hungry for someone else's goals or for someone else's dreams or for someone else's success. And so when you find your own and you're insatiably hungry for that, you find yourself leaning in there in a way that you just you just don't have time to worry about all the rest of the noise. I love that response. And I have, I got called out on that actually, Laura, back when I led a big organization for people who wanted to transition from traditional employment to self-employment. I brought them out here to the Rocky mountains. I'd rent out camps and bring them out. And I got, um, very respectfully called out by a a dear friend. He says, you get the feeling, Kevin, that you want everybody. You think it's best to live up in the Rocky mountains, to have land, to have a bunch of kids, to run wild on the elk trails. And of course, to be an entrepreneur and that you're not okay. If you're not, that's the Holy grail. Man, that really hit me because I have done the same thing. And I listen to people that I really respect and I start to get that feeling of, Oh, I should be like them. And yet it doesn't always fit my life. So thank you for pointing that out. I I do want to go back to the scorecard again, that you talked about and those values. And I'm not, again, talk about a, a little tension. I don't want to judge anyone's values, good or bad. But when you look at that, when you look at people, okay, figure out your scorecard, figure out your goals, figure out what matters to you, figure out your values. Are there some that, but I'm going to struggle with even how to, how to phrase this that are more sustainable, meaning if mine are materialistic, which is not always bad. Uh, my kids want me to get an RV again. So I'm looking at that again. Is that a materialistic goal? I don't know. You know, something for my family. Um, but see, but even still you're justifying it, right? Like why justify your goals? They're your goals. Okay. Okay. Well, so you're coming down to the, some of the crux, uh, because maybe the answer is it doesn't matter as long as the value motivates you. That's what's important because I was going to ask, are there some materialistic, altruistic, whatever that seem to be more sustainable from a long-term goal for people as far as what actually is going to continue to motivate them? Well, let me ask you a question this way. Imagine that you are working at a nonprofit organization and you're a grant writer and you're responsible every year for writing grants that bring $50 million to that organization. Yeah. Would you say that person has purpose? Sure. Sure. Right. Now, imagine if you are a hedge fund billionaire who makes tons of money and has four different yachts and six different houses and um, and 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 uh, you donate every year $50 million to an organization, a nonprofit organization. Would you say that person has purpose? Yeah. Sure. Right. So who's to judge who has more purpose or less purpose? It, yeah. it, it, you know, the bottom line is this. I look, I looked up purpose in the dictionary. Okay? I'm somebody who spent 20 years helping people find work in nonprofit organizations. I love nonprofit work. That said, I'm a firm believer that you don't have to prostrate yourself to the gods of poverty in order to have purpose. Like I looked up the word purpose in the dictionary because I had always just assumed purpose was like higher purpose and lofty purpose. Yeah. Purpose. Uh-huh. It turns out this is the definition of purpose. The, it is the reason for which something is done. 
period. That's it. That is the entire definition of purpose. There's no picture of Mother Teresa feeding the lepers in India. There's no picture of St. Peter, you know, the ledger at the pearly gates. It is simply the reason for which something is done. So if the reason for which you decide you want to take on another client or you want to, um, you know, go do work that's a little bit outside of the the, the tip, type of typical clients that you work for because it's going to give you a bit more money because you want to buy this RV, because you want to spend time with your family, cool. That's your purpose. If your purpose is curing cancer, awesome. If your purpose is 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 taking a job that you hate but because it gets you out of um debt and allows you to live with financial flexibility great if your purpose is buying a maserati in a beach house great that's your purpose and i don't get a vote in whether or not your purpose is worthy or not nobody should get a vote but the problem is that we give votes to people in our lives who shouldn't even have voices and a lot of times that includes the voices in our in our own heads that are saying well you know my kids want me to get an rv but i don't know and and we like justify back and forth but if it's something that is going to allow you to show up as the best version of you that you can and want to be then go for it Okay. Well, there's permission to go get an RV. There we go. Thank you for that. My, my kids are very uh, grateful on it. So I, uh, so here's a root question, Laura, um, that as I look out at the audience and I hear, I hate people to discount a good message. And I, I I always want to dig in to go, where are they going to get stuck? When we talk about alignment, I have experienced for sure people who look at alignment and this concept that you're talking about as great, they'll nod to it, but it seems like a luxury and it, it's, it doesn't look as like a necessity. It feels like a luxury. That'd be great if you can do that, but you know, whatever you do to put food on the table, but just that, that aspect of alignment being a luxury instead of a necessity help to spell that. Yes. So I, I want to come straight out and say that there are people who are listening, who are going to say, my kids are too young. I've got to pay off my student loans. I've got to, you know, deal with my aging parents. Like there are some real things that are out there that are getting in people's way. And we can talk about what to do about that in a moment. But I will say for the most part, a lot of us are not in alignment because we're living someone else's life. And we've got the organ rejection of, um, of, of trying to fit into somebody else's definition, right? We're keeping everybody else happy because we're afraid that if we don't, we're going to fail. So think about, think about most of the careers of the people that you work with. Mm-hmm. At some point early on, they demonstrated competence in a thing. And because they demonstrated competence in a thing, they got hired right. and paid and praised and promoted for being in that center of excellence. And they just created, uh, they grooved the pattern of being in that center of excellence. And they were afraid if I step to the right, I'm going to fail. If I step to the left, I'm going to fail. I have to stay here because if I get this wrong, then I can't put food on the table and, you know, I'm going to get fired and everyone's going to notice and I'm going to be unemployed on social media and people are going to laugh at me, right? Like the whole, the whole like shame spiral that happens. Um, but, but, but like, think about our kids. So when your kids were in school and you'd have to go to those parent teacher conferences and you'd walk in and they'd be like, Oh yeah. uh Uh-huh. You're Ben and Toby's mom. Yeah. Okay. You know, you get that moment when you're like, Oh, how are they trying to break it to me that my kids are never going to move out of the house? Um, (laughs) You start to you know hear all the things that your kids can't do, and we can have those moments when we can absolutely panic, or we could say, well, actually, it's kind of interesting because my kids are exactly where they need to be. So um, in school, your kids learn algebra. Once they get that, they do geometry. Once they get that, they go to trigonometry, and like you figure out trigonometry, and it's like, whoa, calculus is in the house, right? Like they are constantly learning new things, and they're being taught 
that failure is not finale, but failure is fulcrum. Okay. And so when people who are listening to this say, well, I can't do it because I would invite them to think about this idea that that failure is not the end of the road. Failure isn't if, if, I, if, I, if I try to go get alignment and I fail, it's not going to work. It just means that there's like a discovery pattern along the way where you can figure out what it is that you actually care about. You know, people always say, um, uh, and I know that you have this, I've, I've listened to other podcasts and I've heard that you have this plaque like by your kitchen sink. So you're maybe won't like this, but they say, um, tell me, like, tell me what you would do if you knew you couldn't fail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. And, and here's what I say. I think I would rather people tell me, tell me what you would do if you knew for sure you would fail, but you'd still go ahead and do it anyway, right? That's wow. how you figure out what your passion is because that's when you're like, I would still do it because when I fail, I'm going to learn. And when I learn, I'm going to develop the tenacity and the grit and, and, and the speed and the gravitas. And, and it will show me just how hungry I am for this thing. So when people are like, oh, I don't really have alignment and that's kind of, it's kind of a luxury. What I would say is you just haven't figured out the thing that you really want to fail for. Okay. I love that. I may have to go get a new plaque uh, <laughs> because that you just outlined my life the things that I go after. I've got a business right now that we have, we're, we're finally getting ready to launch. And it's one of those where I, I can't not do it uh, regardless. Yes, everything I've ever done in my career, I've done because I couldn't not do it. And, 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 and I, because that's what makes it interesting, right? Mm. You're like, it just, it sits inside of you and it feeds inside of you. And I firmly believe that there's an adventure around every corner if you just look hard enough. But I think if you're not ready to make that leap, it's just because you haven't found the thing. You haven't found the unshakable idea. And that's cool because you can spend time figuring out more information about it so that when you're ready to leap, you're ready to go. Speak on this aspect again of consonants of alignment. And you mentioned that we often get put in that place where we have competence. You said competence for a thing. And I, it was actually a question I was going to throw at you anyways, because we are, especially in school and whatnot, whatever Johnny is good at, well, that's, that's where he should go. So he's good at math. He should go be an accountant or whatever. And I did realize it took me a while that there are some things that I'm good at that I don't really enjoy that much. I would be, I could probably have had the easiest life and made the most money and, and whatever, just being in sales, just put me in sales, sell whatever it is. And I can connect with people and gain their trust and do sales. That is not, I want to create things. That's what I really enjoy. So over here, I'm almost had times where I've walked away from something that I really was good at. And I'm seeing that in my kids right now. I've got one right now who is just God's gift to athleticism. It's not his favorite thing though. He knows he's good. He tries really hard, but we're kind of grappling with that of going, gosh, if he doesn't like it, do I try to foster that? And again, just playing with that. So as people are over here looking at alignment to somewhat balance that, or should I say, um, you know, dig into, gosh, just cause I'm good at it. Is that the thing that's going to bring me into consonants? Well, I would say that it may be that there's something that you're good at now that you want to work on and get great at. And maybe there's something that you're not good at, but that just you're so passionate about it that yeah. you're willing to do the hard yards okay. to get really good. You know why? Like, I, so I ran the first mile of my life when I was 38 years old. Like mm. I literally, you know, I, I was never athletic ever. Like I had 800 billion excuses to get out of PE class. And uh. Now I've run three marathons and I row on a competitive team. Like it's, you know, it's, I just like to discover this inner athlete, but I didn't wake up one day and say, I'm going to be an athlete. I'm going to run a marathon. I woke up one day and I went, wow, everything hurts. I should go, 
I don't know, join a gym. And I, and I, and I joined a gym and they made me run a mile and it took me six weeks before I could run a mile without like stopping and gasping and puking literally. Um, and at the end of the six weeks, I said, well, maybe I could string three of these together and I could run a 5k. And then I was like, well, if I, I could do two of those and I could do a 10k. And the next thing you know, I'm running the Boston marathon. And it, it's not because I woke up with the confidence to do this thing. It's because I put one foot in front of the other and I demonstrated competence. And when I began to demonstrate competence, I went, oh, I can actually do more than I thought I could do. Maybe I can dream bigger than I'd originally thought. And so this, you know, I, I, I think when people are looking for alignment, sometimes it's not looking around and saying, well, that person's doing this thing that would align with me. I should go do it. But it's just taking these individual steps and saying, well, what is it that I care about? Yeah. You know, it's, it's Michael Phelps was born with all kinds of crazy genetic um, uh, mutations that allow him to be this incredible athlete. And he also is huge and naturally gifted, but he's, he didn't win the most gold medals in Olympic history because he was natural at it. It was because he was natural at it. He loved it and he was willing yeah. to do the hard yards in the dark when nobody saw getting up at four in the morning and getting into those pools that allowed him to be great. So I don't, I don't know that, you know, I was an argumentative kid. Was I going to be a great lawyer? Maybe, but I was never going to have joy. I was never going to love it. It was never going to reflect the way that I wanted to live my life and the kind of person that I wanted to be. And I think what happens is we ask these kids really young um, what they want to be and we put them in boxes and, you know, we often do it um, before they have frontal lobes, you know, when they're mm-hmm. 15, 16, 18 years old. And I think it's really difficult to ask somebody to make a decision about who they want to be for the rest of their life when they literally, I mean, they do not have the mental capacity to make a good decision. Like they are, they are, they are incapable. So, we, you know, we have this idea, who are you going to be, period, which is terrible because we ask way too early and we yeah. groove this pattern way too early. But then it, we also have this idea that, it, that that's it. You are an accountant, period. You are a lawyer, period. You are a business owner, period. When really we all go through different ages and different life stages and different seasons of our lives and who we are and what we do and what we love is going to continue to evolve and change. And so the definition of what's going to put us in consonance should change as well. Okay. I want to ask about that right there. You, you cite one of the stories that a lot of people have heard in the book about the janitor at NASA who says, I'm helping put a man on the moon. And of course, reminded me of the, the parable of the three bricklayers where the first says I was, I'm laying bricks. The second says I'm putting up a wall. The third says I am building a cathedral. They're all doing the same thing, but the first has a job. The second has a career and the third has a calling. So, and, and I want to hit on calling here in just a second, but first when people, as people are hearing this message right now, and they are somewhat auditing their alignment, am I or not, where do you guide people in regards to the quandary sometimes of, okay, with what I'm doing right now, do I need to change my perspective? Like this guy, he's not just mopping floors, he's helping. Do I need to change my perspective and get a bigger vision of where I'm at uh, as opposed to do I look and go, no, I, I can't, I, there's not enough room for me to do that. I've got to get somewhere else. So I guess that changing perspective or changing literal location, you know, do I get a different perspective on my job or do I need to change jobs in regards to being alignment? Because, and I, and I say that with a little bit of bias, especially coming from a Christian realm, which I have, I've seen a lot of people who try to justify a crappy 
place that they're in. Maybe it's ministry or whatever. They're trying to justify it and they just, they need to get out of there. So there's my personal bias as I ask the question. Well, so I would say that I think all three of those bricklayers could be in consonance. Okay. It just depends on what they want out of their lives. So we bring a bias to it and we say, well, of course, the third bricklayer who's building a cathedral is the one who gets it. He has consonants. He's in alignment. He's got purpose and calling and all this. But it may turn out that the bricklayer who's just like, I'm laying bricks – and that allows me to go do these other things that I actually really care about is incontinence because he okay. just sees the job as the first part of the thing that allows him to um, have a flexible life that he can spend every afternoon with his family and picking up his special needs kid from you know school or whatever the case may be. Everybody's in work for different reasons. And I think a lot of the books that we see about, you know, about like work should be your everything and you should get straight to the top and you should be able to, you know, be able to have this perspective here. But what I think is that if somebody's doing a job, because the job is just a job, but it allows them to have something on the side, a life that they want on the side. I think that's great. I think that that's, we should be able to allow that. That's part of the reason why we've gotten into this trouble where we feel stuck and we feel like we don't have alignment is that the world is telling us that if you're not the third bricklayer, there's clearly something wrong with you. Mm -hmm. When in fact, we're discounting the rest of what the person who has the job or the career might be getting out of that work as well. Okay. You just hit on something again that I experienced. I have found that for me to be inspired in my work, it in and of itself needs to be uh, serving people in a way that I ultimately feel called. And, we'll, and I'll ask you about calling here in a second, but it, I, I need it to be the embodiment of what I really uh, want to deliver to people, the way that I want to serve people. Okay. So put that over here. Then I got my pair, not paradigm shift, but I saw a different view with a guy and I'll, I'll name him Dave Munson. He owns a company called Saddleback Leather, incredibly successful company. And he loves, he digs designing stuff, designing new bags, leather bags, and, and they've made a zillion dollars and it's great. He has fun there. He employs people. It's it's a, it's a cool thing. Then he and his wife spend months on end over in Africa using what that business affords him time and money. And they serve people in an unprecedented capacity over there. It's really cool. So he's got these two different things. One supports the other mine over here. I realized, gosh, for me to just really be jazzed about what I'm doing, I need both of those to be in encompassed in one place. And and it obviously showed me that, that both is fine. But again, to what you said that, well, let's go ahead and just talk about calling. I mean, you flat out hit that. And I love that you start off right in my wheelhouse of somebody who was a faith-based person and thought to do that, they got to go become a priest. And that was a terrible fit. And they did a much better job out in the corporate world and marketplace. But that calling word is, has been tainted by a faith-based perspective, I think. I love that you pull it over here. And again, well, just do that. Give us a little broader exp- uh, uh, explanation. Yeah. So, um, you know, calling is is really the thing that you care about. It's just the gravitational force to something bigger than you. And for some people, it's raising a family and staying home. For some people, it's 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 uh, doing uh, service work. And and for some people, it's it's building a business. For some people, it's a leader who they care about. It's just it's just something that's outside of us that 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 we feel um, makes our work meaningful. Now, the reason we've gotten it wrong is because we have confused it with just face-based work or that it has to be this higher version of purpose, when in fact, it really doesn't need to be. It just has to be our personal purpose. Now, I talk about 
contribution um, in work as that's the way that you can you can manifest your values through your through your daily work. So, for example. The last business that I built was this executive search firm that worked in the nonprofit sector. I felt that we had a, my calling was serving people and serving organizations and, and helping to change the world. But my calling was really building this business. I was called to be an entrepreneur. I loved the innovation. I loved being able to come up with solutions to problems that the that the that the the my the marketplace hadn't even realized existed yet. Right. Yeah. I thought that was super fun. But for me, um, the the idea of of having a calling was really, um, you know, that, that, that sort of, that sort of frictionless belonging, that energy that you have, that, that, that feeling that like everything that you are being called upon to, uh, to do is the thing that you love and that you do well. Yeah. It just all sort of pointed to this true North that I, that I really cared about. And I think it's, it's really demonstrated well in the book by um, the story you referenced Lonsdale Kester, who said that, you know, she wanted to become a priest. She was always yeah. called to the church, but one day realized that she could be a minister without being a priest. And there were all yes. kinds of ways, you know, love to that. serve, in the world, yeah. we had a um, we had a, a, a business uh, coach come in to facilitate a retreat for my company when it was about ten years old, and she asked us to go around the room in the beginning, and there were about fifteen of us at the company at the time, and she asked us to go around the room and just uh, name how like give a number of how many people we thought the company should grow to, like what would be a good number. And people were walking around, people were going in the room, like, I don't know, the same number, 15. Some people were like 20, some were like 50. And then they got to me at the end and I'm the CEO. And I just was like, this is an asinine question. Like, this is such a, like, why do we have to name a number? Don't we want to talk about how much impact we want to have in the world, how many clients we want to serve, what the mission of those clients are going to be, maybe what the profit margin of our company should be? Like, if you can tell me that at 15 people, we're running a profit margin of 60%, but at 35 people, we're on a profit margin of 75%, I can see value. But if it's 60% and 60%, but, you know, even more staff, then all I see as a CEO are just more headaches. Unless what you're telling me is that by having those people, we can serve more nonprofit organizations and make more impact in the world. So for me, calling wasn't necessarily service to people. It was, how do I run a business that maximizes impact in the world, maximizes flexibility for my own personal life and my family and the causes that I love, and also makes me enough money, right? That was sort of like the calling that I felt was unlocking this this, this puzzle as an entrepreneur. Well, and and I, again, admission that I'm I sabotage my calling early on by it having to be so missional, even though it was in business, it had to be so altruistic and missional that I sabotage the financial end of it. And that was my own baggage on money and how to prove that I was all about caring for people and not about caring about my own money. I, I do want to, I well, don't know that- if this- Go ahead. No, no, yeah, go. I mean, I mean, I think that's a huge problem. I think when we think about purpose, we think purpose can only be purpose if it's service. Yeah. And service can only be service if it's sacrifice. So we have this idea that if we're literally not sacrificing the shirt off our back, then it's not really lofty and higher purpose. So why are we even bothering? And I think, yes. you know, there are all kinds of ways where we can do well while doing good. And so that's why, you know, I, 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 I think it's hilarious because my book has been consistently number one in the nonprofits on amazon.com. And yet I have this sort of this, this whole argument in the book that that's not only the, that's not the only way to go about having purpose, that there's all sorts of ways to also have purpose. 
Thank you for saying that doing well by doing good. That's been a mantra for mine, uh, for me for a while that I finally came to the place of, I know I'm out. I trust my heart. I'm out to do, uh, to do well by people to do, to do a good thing. Now I want to do well and make a billion dollars. And so I, well, and people get really upset about this idea. Like, Oh, that seems really ambitious. I don't know. I'm not so sure. And they get really uncomfortable about this idea that I want to make money. Well, you know, I spent a lot of years being worth my weight in ramen soup and eating cold pizza mm-hmm. on high school gymnasium floors in the middle of political campaigns. And that's not fun. I don't like doing that. And actually, at this age, I can't show up very well doing that. And so I ask people, um, whenever anybody comes to me and they feel, you know, shy or retiring or, you know, like faux humble, like, you know, hashtag humble brag or whatever <laughs> about this crazy idea, I say, let me ask you a question. Would making more money would having a bigger megaphone, would having a bigger following, would having more influence, more power, more foundation, more anything allow you to show up better for the people that you love and the causes you hold dear? And they say, well, yeah, of course. So I say, well, it's not your ambition, then it's your responsibility. So if, you know, the, the, going back to the, the earlier example of the hedge fund billionaire who makes all this money and can now contribute $50 million to this nonprofit, maybe he can contribute 100 but he could easily say, I'm not going to do this work. I'm going to go write grants for a nonprofit. But if he's capable of making even more money, then I think it should be his calling. I think that it's his highest and best use to maximize what he can make so that he can show up in the best possible way for the things he cares about. Yes. I'm going to hit on something. And folks, you know, the four, I'm going to read them real quick. The four areas uh, here, calling, connection, contribution, and control. I want you to do more than hear those because we could talk for the next two hours. Go buy the book Limitless because I want you to own it. I want you to go in and it's one to study, one to underline. And you just hit a point though, and that's where I wanted to jump to that comes under your contribution segment of the book. And you talked about ambition uh, and the struggle that sometimes we have around that, especially from those who are altruistically bent, that ambition feels bad. And you, you even came out and gave a different caveat that there are some extra baggage with that for women who are ambitious. I am, uh, my personal experience with that was with uh, one of my closest friends who is a devout Christian guy. And he, for a while grappled with, can you be a Christian ambition? Can I be a Christian, Christian businessman and want to make a billion dollars? Is that okay? So again, just that word ambition, give us a little bit of talk on that for those who struggle with the reality that they do or that, or that they know that they want to have some ambition. Yeah. I mean, I think ambition is great. You know, we never, we, you don't really often hear, oh, he's so ambitious, but you hear it about women, right? You hear, oh, she's so ambitious. And, uh-huh. and, and, you know, there, there are studies that show that women, that, that, that we are okay with women who are in power, but we don't like women who are looking to have more power, right? I mean, that's mm-hmm. a really fascinating thing. So we look up to women who have made it, but the ones who are running for office, the ones who are, you know, who are, who are vying for the promotion, those are the ones who get sort of knocked about. Mm-hmm. And, I, and, and, you know, and as I said, I believe that ambition is, uh, you know, it's gotten, it's gotten this bad rap. And, and it's like a dirty word. But I do believe that if we are, if, look, there is, there is a part of you that you know that when you were at your, your, your fundamental best, right, you were like the highest and best version of yourself and you were able to bring everything that you do well to the problem at hand. 
Now, if you were to sit back and say, oh, no, no, I'm just going to sit back here. No, maybe not me. Maybe it shouldn't be me. You're not being ambitious about being able to solve that problem or being able to bring yourself to, to, to that issue. And I think that it's, you know, I think Seth Godin says that if you're, if you're, if you're hiding away some of the things that you do well, if you're not sharing your message, you're, you're actually stealing from other people. Yes. And, I, and, I, and I do believe that. So I think that it is, it is up to us to show up as the very best version. Harvard Business Review calls this your fundamental state of leadership. You know, like think about a moment when you were firing on all cylinders, you were making it rain, you were closing the deal, right? You were just, you were on stage and you were just kicking butt. Or maybe you were um, in your place of worship, helping a friend through a difficult uh, situation. Maybe you're talking to one of your kids through a hard problem or a, or a heartbreak from a crush. Um, maybe you're by yourself, you know, you know, in your office, in your cubicle, and you're, you know, putting together the the proposal or the budget, or you know, you're crunching the numbers. But there's a moment when you are doing the thing that you know that you have been put on this earth to do. Yeah, that's your fundamental state of leadership, and I think mm-hmm. that we are told so often that we have to lean in to, you know, Sheryl Sandberg's version of like the, you know, get to the, get to the corner office as fast as you possibly can. And I want us to lean into that version of ourselves instead, right? I want us to be ambitious about showing up as the fullest and best version that we can be, because I think we owe it to everybody else around us to be that person. Love that. I'm so tempted to just end right there as it was such a great statement, but I can't because there's one more thing that I want to come back to. And I read it in the book and it stood out to me and you spoke it just a second ago in regards to calling again, because I I do tend to come down to motive. Uh, You know, what is the thing that will motivate you to go get alignment, to go find consonants in your work, in your life. And you use that word that again, words are important to me, gravitational force. I love that. It, it was uh, so many years ago, a guy named Gary Barkalo, he wrote a book called It's Your Call. Christian guy, you know, he talked about trusting the desires of your heart. But it was at a time when I was investing myself, as I still am. I mean, I, I speak to the you know, upper class for the most part, people who are striving to do more. They're listening to a show like this. And that's who I speak to. Meanwhile, my brother is over here in Africa devoting his life to the least of these, sexual slavery and all this kind of stuff. And there was a little discussion we had, and it was kind of like, dude, how do you justify serving, you know, white upper class America? And and I understood the question. And uh, actually, it was more my question, I think. It wasn't necessarily him putting me on the spot. But that gravitational force, I ultimately realized, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know why I like to live at 9,200 feet above sea level. It's kind of weird. It's sort of extreme, but man, it just resonates with my soul. I can't explain it. I can't justify it. It just is. And I'm okay with that. So when you talk about your calling being that gravitational force, whether it is something that is massively altruistic, or there was a guy that stood out to me years ago who was so on fire for boarding, snowboarding in the winter and wakeboarding in the, in the, in the summer. And he wanted people to come together and get outside families. He was so on fire about it. And I, I had to put my head around it a, a little bit because I'm in altruistic mode over here. Really, we're supposed to be, you know, in ministry and that gravitational force of not, have you, I'm sure you see that are not giving an excuse. I don't have to justify it. It's just where I'm led towards and giving value and weight to that. How how dire is that need? I mean, to, for people to not question it, not to judge it. 
Oh, you know, it's funny because I, I, when I speak to these audiences of thousands of people and then I go and I sign books afterwards, people come up to me all the time. And even you said at the beginning of this podcast, mm -hmm. thank you for giving me the permission to. Hmm. And I think to myself, who am I that I'm giving you permission? Give yourself permission, mm -hmm. right? Or whatever higher, um, you know, person or whatever higher being you care, like let them give you permission. Like I am not here on earth to give anybody permission. What I'm here on earth to do is to say, you know, there's actually other doors in the room. Maybe you want to walk through one of those instead. I'm just, I'm just here to point out what I see as obvious, which is that the guy who loves wakeboarding is going to be different than the guy who loves, you know, living at 9,200 feet, which is different than the guy who's living in Africa and helping the, let me tell you, why do you work with the elite, you know, the, 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 the white elite in, 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 you know, in the Rocky mountains, because a lot of them are funding your brother's work in Africa. Right. And that's fine. Like there, True. there, there are a play cannot happen with just one person. There have to be multiple roles and supporting cast. And we're all here on this earth together, all walking in different ways, but to, you know, together it creates this beautiful, this beautiful production. You know, it's like you would not have a tapestry with just one thread. You have to have all sorts of things that go into it, which is what makes it beautiful. And so, you know, I wrote a book called Limitless, How to Ignore Everybody, Carve Your Own Path, and Live Your Best Life. And the How to Ignore Everybody and Carve Your Best Life, I'm serious about that. Like, I really believe that, that you know, the Buddhists say that that all misery um, begins with, with comparison. And, and boy, isn't that true, right? Every time we say, I'll be happy when... I'll be happy when I get married. I'll be happy when I get the promotion. I'll be happy when I lose 10 pounds. I'll be happy when I move to wherever. Like, I think we have to figure out a way to be happy now. And that starts by not spending our time justifying why the work we're doing matters. If it's work that we love, if it's work that's helping us to feel like there is something that we care about, if we have some kind of connection um, to it, if it's able to contribute into our lives in the way that it's building something that's, that, that, that we want, and we have some semblance of control, then I think you've got consonants. But, mm. but I want to be clear that everybody at every age and at every life stage will have it differently. Like It may be that calling is your driver today and that you don't necessarily care if the work that you're doing, every single thing connects to that calling as long as you know you're in service to that calling. Fine. Your brother is clearly a calling person, but he probably doesn't have all that much control over, over his life. Mm. All of us are going to want different things. And what's nice about it is that you can take from one, you can steal from one to give to the other because at every age and at every life stage, we're going to want and need different amounts. So I will say if your listeners are going, ah, I don't even know where to begin. In, yeah. I did create a quiz um, at limitlessassessment.com, and your listeners can actually go and they can take that. It's about 60 questions. Um, I'll say that again for people who are driving. It's limitlessassessment.com, and it takes about 15 to 20 minutes. It's a pretty intense quiz, and it, I ask, you know, I'm often described as a punch in the face wrapped in a warm hug. So, mm -hmm. you know, the quiz is a little bit of a punch in the face. It's pretty tough, but it asks some catalyzing questions that will really get you thinking about the value that you're placing on calling, connection, contribution, and control. And at the end of the quiz, what the list, what you, what the respondents will get is a radar chart that has two different um, two different radar graphs. One that shows how much of calling, connection, contribution, and control you want to have in your life right now. And then another mm -hmm. that shows how much you actually do have, which will give a really interesting wow. and easy to understand picture about where you're not in consonance. And then we'll give you some tips about some easy things that you can do today in order to start moving towards consonance in your life. 
I I'll put that in the intro. I did not do that. I'll do it as soon as we're finished with this interview. I love the concept. And Laura, I, you know, I had this, had you on here because this resonates with me. I don't know how to, I don't think I could get up out of bed if I didn't have consonants in my life. And I realized that the joy that I have in my consonants at work helps me be a better dad, a better husband, a better friend, a better everything. It helps me create my art better back to Seth Godin that you talked about. That's what helps me deliver my art is that, uh, that core, it's a message that I want to get out there. I want my kids to listen to this show. I love how you put it together. You put it in different terminology that I think is more digestible than honestly, a lot of the things I've seen out there that speak on these, uh, aspects. So consonants is now a new word that will be coming up in my vocabulary. Thanks to you. Thank you for doing what you do to deliver your art with limitless, with this book, with this message. And, uh, so grateful that you took the time to, bring it to us, bring us to this audience. And uh, of course, selfishly bring it to me because I'm the biggest beneficiary. Thank you so much, Laura. Thank you. This has been great. Well, there you go, friends. Here's to you celebrating the consonants you enjoy in your life or getting convicted to start creating more of it. Again, check out Laura's book, Limitless, How to Ignore Everybody, Carve Your Own Path, and Live Your Best Life, and take her limitless assessment and more at lauragassneraudingcom slash Ziggler, where she set up a page just for us. If you got value from the show, please let us know. Leave a review for us in iTunes for The Ziggler Show. Coming up next in episode 688, we have our Q&A show. The topic is what diet and exercise program will work for you. It's the age-old pursuit of wellness, of losing weight, gaining muscle, being fit and trim, having energy, and not having aches and pains. Those things are what can support or threaten everything else we do, all these goals and aspirations we have. I mean, we have more knowledge on these issues than ever, but America and many other countries are getting just fatter and sicker. Eating less and exercising more are just no longer getting the expected results. And if you feel you are doing so many of the supposed right things and not getting good results, you're not alone. And there is more at work. The topic comes on the heels of our talk with internationally recognized fitness and nutrition expert, Angelo Poli. Angelo is founder of MetPro, the world's first algorithm-based transformation engine. Catch episode 683. That's our main conversation with Angelo. It's titled Winning the War Over Your Body. Well, this is our Q&A show, though, and I asked the Ziegler audience a question on my Facebook page where I invite you to join us. Just find and friend me at Agent K. Miller. Uh, the question I asked for this episode was, who has gotten results with a diet in our exercise, exercise program? Uh, who has gotten frustrated by one? I then had the expert himself, Angelo Poli, join me to talk through your many comments. I'm confident you'll resonate with many of the comments of failure and success but mostly you'll get further schooled in how you can finally get results from Angelo. Uh, Ziggler show listeners, if you didn't hear it before, you can receive your own complimentary metabolic evaluation in a 30 minute one-on-one -on -one consultation with a metabolic expert by going to metpro.co slash Ziggler and click get started. MetPro will review your answers, respond to any questions you may have and discuss ways MetPro can support your weight loss and performance goals. To claim this offer, just go to again, metpro.co slash Ziggler. And for disclosure, yes, I am a client with them. Well, hey, till then, thank you as always for letting me walk with you as we inspire our true performance together. <music>